This is the Observations Podcast for Friday, the 3rd of March, 2023. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks, our very first foray into doing this live. Um, I think I'm going to turn off this window capture here because that is giving us some stuff that we don't want to see. Here is the fundamental problem. Michael... Um, unfortunately, is having sound problems and he cannot hook up. We were doing fine and then we started fiddling around with a USB microphone and doing a whole bunch of other stuff and it just didn't work properly. So we're going to have to try to uh, figure out how this whole thing works as far as getting Michael back with sound. He is off for the moment. He should be back on soon. And we should be able to get the podcast started. So uh, Michael is connecting to audio. Can't hear you yet. Let's hope that uh, at some point that audio reconnection occurs and we can talk to each other. Not an auspicious beginning for the uh, for the podcast. Uh, what you may hear is Michael Wade asking me if I can hear him. And... Uh, uh, we will go ahead and put that uh, window capture back up, which is supposed to show Michael. I will make myself smaller and uh, therefore we'll both be able to be on screen at the same time, assuming Michael can talk. I, I still I can't hear a damn thing. And he still can't hear as you as you just heard. He... Well, let me try the speaker or the headphones again. Okay, well, he's now going to try the headphones again. We are we as are, well. We, well, he heard that. Uh, <laughs> or at least read my lips uh, looking at it on Zoom. I still don't hear anything. And Nothing we're still having it out. And we're still having audio issues. By the and way, we were here for the last. La -di -da -di -da. Yeah, we were. We were here for the last there are half no hour. Noises coming from. <laughs> we were here for the last uh, half hour. Uh, actually, almost uh, thirty-seven minutes at this point. Uh, and everything was working fine. We hooked up a USB microphone and then everything stopped working. So I'm not entirely sure where our, uh, where our issues are. And the trouble with Zoom is that, uh, well, here's how it works. If you uh, are looking at someone else's screen, Zoom just hides the meeting controls from you. So I can't even look at his system and see what the uh, see what the the problem is. What I can do is um, uh, go into because he's on a Mac. So go into system preferences. Boy, this is exciting podcasting, isn't it? On your Mac and check your sound devices in system settings and we'll see if that uh, we'll see if that might help I would certainly love to be able to reach across three time zones and make all the changes that need to be made so that we could get Michael up and running but unfortunately we are limited by the technology I am somewhat amazed that this thing actually works the way it's supposed to work and that we can uh, uh, as it were stream this live I expected the starting to be uh, from from my point of view a lot more uh, a lot more complex and it turns out uh, it wasn't all that complex at all 
uh, we were able to get the video started. Uh, but right now, Michael is just having trouble with Zoom and getting his sounds running. And the, the bad thing is that we can hear him. Uh, just he can't hear us. And so it's not working on headphones. It's not working on his speakers. And the, the sad thing was it was working on his speakers uh, before we started monkeying around with things. So we probably should not have uh, monkeyed around with things the way that we did. So for our inaugural podcast uh, on video, uh, this is not going as swimmingly as I was hoping that it would. We got off to a seven minute long or seven minute late start. And now, even though we have started, we have no Michael. He can only hear, he can only talk, but he can't hear. So we're going to hope that uh, he manages to get this figured out. He's been in and out of Zoom a couple of times and uh, hasn't been able to make it work, even though it was working a few minutes ago. We probably should have just left well enough alone. Um, or what we can do is just have Michael call in and uh, we can just do it via, via phone. Uh, let me try that. Uh, I'm going to text Michael and just say, let's forget Zoom. Let's forget Zoom. FaceTime me and I'll display the FaceTime video. And he just left Zoom. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. I am going to FaceTime Michael live on stream and uh, then I'm going to share my iPhone's screen and that should get us where we need to be unless his audio is going to come up. So let's see if he can hear anything and he is. Why can't I hear you? Okay. Well, that's fine. Here we go. We are just going to close zoom completely and we're going to see if Michael will FaceTime us. So he is out. I'm going to close this zoom meeting. So that's going to kill that window and there is Michael. Can you hear me now, Michael? <coughs> can you hear me? I can. You can. Okay. That works. So we are going to go back to a, uh, well, I guess we're going to have to call it a, uh, a secondary option. So what I am going to do is I'm going to drop my phone. And after I stop dropping my phone, I am going to pop open the 5K video player. And that will enable me, when the 5K video driver pops up, that will enable me to go to, uh, well, where is it supposed to be? Right here screen mirroring and I can screen to 5k player laptop and that should give me the allow access come on there we go that will give me our screen mirroring thank you and I can stop that and I can close that and I can then go back to Michael Wade and then 
inside OBS. This is all amazing technology, by God. Uh, at least it works. And now I can pick AirPlay EXE iPhone. And we are good to go. I now have Michael Wade on video. And so I can bring you in, Michael. And uh, I can make... Ta -da. I can make myself a little folks. bigger. That's just how easy it is to do. There we go. We have it. Uh, we have it set up. I'm not sure. I like the way that this is. Uh, this is arranged for me, but uh, I keep moving my background instead of moving me. Video capture device. I need to move. My, oh, I'm now moving you around. This is this is fascinating. We're just doing everything wrong. Okay, great. Now look, we are side by side, face to face. We now have video. We've got it set up. It only took us 45 minutes to get set up for our first thing, and we had to abandon our original setup in favor of uh, in favor of of stupid uh, stupid. Yeah, this is low tech. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's low tech, but um, well, we're good. We're set up. We're ten minutes into this thing, and we haven't uh, said a word basically. But we are live, and we are streaming to YouTube. So, for better or for worse, we've managed to figure it out. All right, always a well. <sighs> yeah, um, and if you wanted to see my studio, there I am. You can now see me inside my studio but instead we'll just show the ceiling on michael's phone okay what the hell are we supposed to talk about what the hell are we doing i think it's carte blanche at this point <laughs> i don't think we i think we're so discombobulated at this point you know i will have to say doing this via audio was a hell of a lot easier there was there were a lot fewer moving parts that you had to yeah that you had to look at so eh, doesn't matter we got it working so we're good to go um, so there were a couple of things that I was thinking I do notice that I'm getting some feedback off of you uh, Michael uh, on you're your, getting feedback off of me yeah I'm hearing my voice through your through your iPhone uh, and I'm wondering if maybe. That's my problem because I had the sound turned up on the 4K player. Um, that may have very well been what it was. So that may have been on my end. So never mind. I think I may have screwed that up. Uh, so what did I want to talk about? Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Um, CPAC is this week. And now I can't hear you. Uh, so I turned your volume off. Yeah, so I'm hearing myself talking um through your phone so your phone is picking up the end of my talking oh well maybe not nope looks like it's working now okay fine god bless it they're just issue after issue after issue okay so anyway cpac this week let's start off with that let's actually get to a topic it's been interesting because a lot of people have talked about a the number of attendees has dropped a lot and the number of speakers, big name speakers who want to show up, have dropped a lot as well. I'm wondering if there are some indications there because Donald Trump is there. He's he's kind of the, uh, I guess, sort of the, the, the keynote guy. Yeah, he's the he's the keynote guy for that thing. So, yeah. um, although Nikki Haley was there today, 
Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a keynote Nikki Haley is. I mean, she's not the keynote, but I mean, as far as those declared uh, candidates, it's just her and he and, and um, uh, what's his name, Rasha Shrami. Right. I know I'm mispronouncing his name. But... Yeah, but look, let, let's be honest. Neither of them have a shot at the nomination. The people who I have a sh- the people who have a shot at the nomination are Donald Trump. There's two. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> well, maybe Glenn Youngkin. We don't we don't know yet. Doubtful. Um, yeah, maybe, but we we still have those who are probably going to be major candidates. But I think we can assume that Nikki Haley is the Kamala Harris of the Republican Party. She's going to get 3% of the vote and probably nothing else. In in voter uh, draw, yes. In intelligence, um, like miles apart. By the way, are you covering up your microphone on your phone? Oh, maybe I am. Yes, you are. Oh, it was, it was the way I was holding my phone. My apologies. There you go. Now we have now we have better sound. We're working it out. Let's slowly, load gas now. Slowly but surely. For our very, very first streaming video podcast, this is, uh, uh, hopefully it'll be better uh, next week. We'll start getting our ducks in a row and figuring this stuff out. <laughs> or we'll just start playing clips from uh, Amazon Women on the Moon. <laughs> well, I got plenty of clips that uh, <laughs> that we could play. Uh, so anyway, um, if Donald Trump is the big draw at CPAC and if there aren't a lot of people there who are watching as attendees, and I've heard that hotels are, have have plenty of open rooms, it's not the sold out event that it used to be in the past. And we're not getting the big speakers. Well, even if I was a big Trump person, which, as you know, I'm not, um, I'd be kind of iffy as far as what that means in terms of Trump's electability. If he is not a major draw at CPAC, how's he going to be a major draw in an election? Yeah, well, I think there's two ways to look at that. He's he is not a major draw for comrades and colleagues. Um, and he may be a bit of a repeller. He's still a major draw for MAGA country. Um, he can sell out a stadium, uh, a venue. Um, he can can truly draw big crowds for a rally. But you're right that, I mean, arguably one of his biggest problems other than his own mouth um, from a governance stance was personnel. Cause what, you know, what, what do they say? Personnel is policy. And he was not able to get people who would actually support his positions and policies um, into the important places of the government and really enact. And he, and even in spite of that, he still enacted quite a bit. Um, that was very helpful. But the inability to control uh, the swamp, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, but certainly even at the top levels of um, the D.C. establishment, the bureaucracy, that hurt him a lot. 
and I think this is just another indication that he has not really expanded that influence amongst those who he would need to help him in an administration. I, 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 I think that people run away from him. Um, and understandably so. Even if, if Trump had been perfect uh, throughout his entire presidency, the amount of cost to those around him in his inner circle uh, that they suffered, some of them losing their homes. I think of Mike Flynn uh, got, I mean, he was barely in the administration for a few weeks. Um, actually, I don't even think it was a few weeks. I think it was maybe a week or something. Um, and what it cost him, I, it's absolutely ludicrous. I, the lawyers who, who worked on his behalf have been driven out of law firms. Uh, they've been uh, hounded and harassed. It, it, being in that circle of trust with Trump has cost a lot of people their livelihoods and their ability to pursue really anything. Um, it's cost them a lot of money. It's cost them dearly with, uh, you know, family and friends. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a poisonous um, area to be in. So, I think that there's at least some reflection of that in uh, his inability to really draw other uh, prominent speakers in to CPAC. Now, there are, there are a bunch of, I would say, more in the know um, people who follow conservative circles and, um, and it's, it's certainly the, the conservative blogosphere and things like that conservative writers um there are plenty of those people there uh some very interesting people actually um and not all of them are even conservative i mean some of them are downright liberal but um there are, are many of them who are there just kind of exploring seeing what's going on reporting uh you know whatever else uh so there, there's an interesting menagerie but you're absolutely right that that the attendance is down and you don't have those big firebrand speakers uh, coming to it other than Trump. A few minutes ago, you said something about Trump being able to bring in a lot of people at rallies, which is undoubtedly true. But he brought in a lot of people at rallies in you know, 2020 uh, for all the good that did him. Uh, and Joe Biden was barely able to get, you know, a baker's dozen of reporters to show up for his stuff. Um, rallies are great and rallies indicate some strength in the base but you know what it, even if you only had 30% support in the electorate and it was a really strong 30% who really really loved you a lot um, that's still 30% of the electorate and you might get tens of thousands of them to show up to a rally and they'll be the same tens of thousands who will vote for you during the election so yeah, sometimes rallies are an indication of your popularity. Sometimes they're an indication of your popularity among a very small portion of the electorate. And the fact that, well, this isn't 2016. Nobody is, is or 2017, nobody is, you know, crawling all over themselves to get into Donald Trump's good graces. Yeah, well, I think what you're basically saying is, you know, he's a lot more sizzled than steak. And there's plenty of sizzle, 
but the meat's just not there to to sustain, you know, red meat diet amongst the uh, the red electorate. Yeah, I think if you're if you're not pulling it, see, I don't care whether the big conservative names want to show up and and talk at CPAC. I I mean, it's interesting, I suppose, and I guess it's worth your money if you're an attendee. I'm far more interested in the fact that attendance is down, that there's just all these empty hotel rooms that they can't get anybody to buy, that that instead of this massive collection, it's still a big meeting, don't get me wrong, but it's not that big. And it's not as big as it was, certainly not in 2016 when they basically sold out the town. That's not happening now. Uh, at well, a time to be when... fair, though, j- just to put a little perspective on that, though, the National Harbor... Uh, right across the river from Alexandria and Maryland is enormous. Uh, there's an MGM Grand there. There are about 150 restaurants. There's shopping. There's convention center. It is a massive, massive complex. The fact that it's not sold out, I don't think, is a real concern. I think it's just the total number of people that actually bothered to go, especially in the D.C. environs. And this is literally uh, less than a mile from the D.C. Uh, line. Right, but that total number of people who are showing up is smaller than it has been. It's smaller than it has been, yes. Which, again, makes me wonder whether, you know, Donald Trump is is the guy. At what point, look, let, let us assume, I'm not saying this happened, but let us assume that Donald Trump did, in fact, lose the election by more or less the number of votes that were counted. And you and I talked about this, I guess, the, the week after. Uh, there, uh, among a lot of Republicans, certainly those that I was reading and those that I was you know, interacting with, there was the idea that, you know, we're just tired of this guy. And even though we don't like Joe Biden, we really don't like this guy. He cannot keep his mouth shut. He turns too many people off. He's just not, he just doesn't have it in him to be a, a president. Um, and, you know, if actual Republicans felt that way, why do you think that 30 to 40% of independent voters felt? Because they're the ones who decide elections. And they're the ones who vote based on whether they like a guy or not, or whether they would like to have a beer with him or not. And it doesn't really matter how much support you have among Republicans. Republicans are 35% of the electorate. So are Democrats. It's that 35 or 40% who identify as independents that, you know, a, a very, very slight breeze can move a hell of a lot of votes from one side to, to another. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I really can't disagree with any of that. I mean, I, I, this is the most hope, uh, high-profile position, I mean, on the planet, quite frankly. Um, and how you comport yourself is going to make a difference. Now, at the beginning, that was great because people were sick and tired of you know, being told one thing and then another thing happening, being promised all this stuff and none of it coming to fruition. Um, tired of the double talk, uh, the double standards, just everything. Uh, Trump was a breath of fresh air, not necessarily fresh air, I guess, 
but uh, certainly it's certainly uh, different air. Let's put different, it yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> a different stank to that that whole thing. Um, and he wasn't buoyed by uh, all these outside interests. Um, he wasn't beholden to anybody. He was not a Washington insider. He wasn't a, a big politi- politically connected person other than, you know, who he had to pay off or manipulate in order to get what he needed to get done. Um, he just wasn't involved in that world, except tangentially. So when he came in and was like, no, look, we need to focus back on the American people. It's like, hell yes, please. Thank you. And I mean, still somewhat, I'm still somewhat incredulous that he actually did that. Um, He truly put forth policies and, um, and positions that militated towards uh, just regular people getting a fair shot at things. Um, Opening up the economy. uh, that, That was wonderful. Rolling back regulations, trying to take power out of the hands of bureaucrats. I mean, was he perfect? Oh, God, no. Um, but neither was Reagan. Reagan screwed up, too, when it came... And I'm just talking on the purely policy <laughs> and positions level um, and administrative level. Um, but I, I thought he did a damn good job. I just was never fond of the messenger. Well, he wasn't a great messenger. Um it, it, primarily because you know all the stuff that he, you you talked about about doing good for the american people which you know i think largely we agreed with on a policy basis much of what donald trump did was sound the trouble is that you and i are policy guys and right. so you know we we have this sort of transactional okay donald trump did this good and he did this good uh, personally, I, I, I dislike the man intensely, or certainly the persona that he portrays intensely. And I was willing to overlook that. But you know what? There's a huge swath of the electorate who d- aren't policy people. They base their electoral choices on whether they think somebody is a good guy or not, or a good girl or not. And Yeah, well, you brought it up earlier, you know, the whether or not you want to get a beer with them kind of thing. Yeah, that's... That's how a lot of people decide it. Yeah, look, that's, well, among other things, that's, that's one of the things. about as valid as any other reason. That's, that, that's <laughs> one of the things that got Obama elected, too, although there were other things, as we discussed at the time, that may have impinged on that decision. Donald Trump in 2016 was lucky. First, he was lucky in that he ran against a Republican field that simply had no idea how to deal with him because all of them operate in this DC sort of environment where we know how the game is played. We know what the limits of rhetoric are and we'll stay within those bounds and everything will all come out in the wash and Donald Trump wouldn't play that game. And there was nobody. um, I think Chris Christie sort of tried and then turned around and kowtowed to Donald Trump uh, but for the most part, there was nobody who, when Donald Trump you know, said one of his things, 
could just laugh and say, well, oh, Don, he's got plenty to say, doesn't he? Anyway, and just went on and, you know, just pretend that he's an irrelevance. I mean, there were other strategies, but nobody could nobody could employ those strategies because they all got into this the standard. How, how dare you, sir? How dare you speak of my honor in this way? And well, then he just rolled they right to over go toe to toe with them on the insult game and you know basically a, a queen's street fight it's like well i'm gonna take the guy from queens in that street fight not yeah. the guy from he's, miami he's he's the guy that's from queens he was also lucky in the general election that he ran against hillary and uh, hillary clinton who oh absolutely aside from absolutely who aside from the donald single trump, most unlikable candidate in probably 50 years aside from donald trump in 2020 yes uh she was a historically unlikable candidate and by the way she has always had historically high negatives she has never been a popular politician certainly not on a nationwide basis uh and, not even with democrats no, and that goes back to the 1990s. She's never yep. been popular. So he was lucky to have her as an opponent, an opponent that many people didn't like, and that many Democrats, by the way, were sort of gritting their teeth as they pulled the lever for her or punched the chat or whatever they do in their particular states to vote for her because they weren't super happy with her as well. And okay, fine, she lost. She didn't lose by much, and we're talking by, what, 30,000 votes in, in Wisconsin, uh, similar margins in, in the other states that Donald Trump uh, won that generally go for Democrats. Again, I think that was a popular— he actually did pretty well. Yeah, but— But yeah, you're right. The, it, was those, it was those Rust Belt states where he pulled ahead and just—she never could gain any ground. And I, I think that— is because it was Hillary Clinton. And I think, well, had, I think too, had almost though, any other Democrat run in that election, Donald Trump would have lost. Well, and I'd say the same thing about if any other Republican had run. I mean, you saw what they did to Romney, milk toast Romney. I, I, I just, I don't think it had to be an asymmetrical attack, which is exactly what, uh, you know, Trump brought to the table. Um, if they're going to play by the Queen's uh, Queen of Marchbury rules, well, somebody needs to upset and just flip over the board, and that's exactly what uh, Trump brought to the table. Yeah, but his problem in it, 2020 was he was the key player on the board. He, right, he couldn't tip that board over. Uh, it's a right. lot different when you're running as the incumbent president uh, than you yeah, are as, as an insurgent, right? Right. Uh, he's not an insurgent anymore. And by the way, he's not an insurgent now. And, yeah. you know, whatever you might think about Do Donald Trump, and as far as I know, you may love him. I don't know. He's just not the guy for 2024. I, I just don't believe he can win that election in 24. On the other I hand, I didn't either. think he could win in 2016. So, you know, who am I to say? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... I think we certainly learned a lesson in 2016. Um, I thought we had learned one in 2012 too about like polls, but that has been unlearned. I, 
Every time we think we learn a lesson. politics is so screwy. And by the way, this has been going on since what, 2004, since we've been talking about things yeah, like this. And every yeah. time we think we have a lesson from a presidential election, it turns out to be the wrong <laughs> lesson for the next election. We're like, we're, we're like generals who are constantly applying the lessons of the last war. Yeah. <laughs> well, this should apply this time, right? Well, nope, apparently not. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, well, this was a unique situation. Well, apparently every four years uh, is a unique situation. Well, and it started in 2000. That's when everything just went haywire with the whole uh, uh, Gore, you know, withdrawing his his um, uh, concession and then, you know, hanging chads in the Supreme Court and selected not elected. And then 2004 with, oh, the, the voting machines and Diebold in Ohio. And and then 2008, which was, it didn't matter who ran against Obama. He was going to win. Uh, but then 2012, first time a president had a negative economic record. Uh, had high, the his negatives were over 40%. I don't think they were over 50% at that point. Um, and the guy he was running against was Milk Toast Romney, who had never heard a fly. And who was in the opinion trade. of some barely a Republican. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, they turned this guy into worse than Hitler. And they didn't even bat an eye about it. I mean, uh, Harry Reid got up on the on the protected uh, Senate floor, which he knew. He could say anything he wants up there, and he can't be held accountable at all. And that's what he did. He just said, hey, you know what? I have it on good authority that uh, he never pays any taxes. Um, he, he's just, he's a rich fat cat, um, and he wants to screw everybody else. He's going to kill grandma. Do you know he cut some gay kid's hair? Oh, and he tried to kill his dog. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, and by the way, like you said, he knew that that was false. The whole tax thing where he said Mitt Romney didn't pay taxes, that was just a lie. And he knew it was a lie at the time. He absolutely knew it was a lie. And, and he knew he could get away with it from the well of the Senate. And by the way, a couple of years later when asked about it, his only response was, eh, it worked. Yeah, he won, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he won. But... Interestingly, since 2000, you bring that up, that was a watershed election because of how that, that turned out. And what I note is that in every election since 2000, the losing party has always claimed voter fraud as the reason. So George W. Bush, 2004, when he won, Diebold. We all remember Diebold, right? It's those Diebold voting machines. By the way, we had... At my election precinct, we had Diebold voting machines. I, I used them. Uh, they must have cost a lot of money, but I never saw them again. They were just gone. Um, and then, of course, in 2008, well, 2008 was a bit of a change um, because nobody, yeah, thought, yeah, nobody thought John McCain was going to win that election. So that was a gimme. But then 2012, Mitt Romney loses. And, you know, this is, well, it was stolen, stolen by what's her name? Kathy, whatever, who, who 
particip- who's supposed to moderate the debate, and she shot down Mitt Romney. And it's all this oh, conspiracy. Candy, candy, uh, candy Crowley, I think. Crowley. Um, you know, she did that. And by the way, I'm not sure about these election machines. Uh, and then in 2016. Uh, the Democrats, after that election, Donald Trump, it was all Russian influence. And remember, the Democrats were going after Dominion in 2016. Yes. The Democrats are having hearings right. saying about how, oh, these machines are so easily hackable. And you can, uh, who knows what kind of skullduggery went on in 2016 with these machines. Okay. Then 2020, Donald Trump loses and we're back to Dominion machines and how they've um, screwed everything up. Although this time... Um, Dominion, who didn't feel it necessary to uh, sue any Democrats after 2016, certainly felt it necessary to sue a lot of news outlets uh, after 2020. And, of course, there's, what, a $1.4 billion defamation lawsuit now running against Fox? Yeah, it's Fox and various other people. And you know, Rudy Giuliani and uh, right. Sidney Powell and, and, and others. And you know, for for those who say that, you know, Dominion may have been involved in some skullduggery and people got into those machines, the the you know the Mike Lindell thing about, you know, watching votes being changed in real time, um, maybe that did happen, uh, but if it did, I wouldn't sue somebody for one point four billion dollars and run the risk of discovery. I don't know anymore. I got to honest I, I just, the hubris that people have, and I'm not saying this on the part of uh, Dominion. I, I just mean that it doesn't surprise me anymore when people double down on stupidity and on, no, I was just right. I was always right. I mean, how many news people have we seen do that? And how many uh, politicians have we seen do that? You know, it, it's... So it doesn't surprise me. But I, I you, you, you make a good point about once you get involved in litigation, um, there is a discovery process. And that stuff's going to come out. Matter of fact, uh, the stuff that Dominion has found has even though i think there's a gag order it's still coming out shocker um and and it's all about how fox news knew that it was it was lying and putting out these uh false narratives about the blah 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 okay let's say that's true i'm not going to disbelieve that um do you think anything different goes on over MSNBC or CNN or ABC News uh, on every single day of every single year? I mean, that's just, that's how politics works, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure there are people at MSNBC who know that, that especially on the opinion side, half of the stuff they're selling is, is BS. I, I just don't think they care because that's what they're audience wants to hear and by the way with the stuff that we've now learned about fox news and what have you i don't think they care either because their job as far as i can tell the way they see their job is to feed red meat to the crowd msnbc is no different it's just a different brand of red meat yeah exactly it's blue meat (laughs) 
But it all comes. But down yeah, to, I mean, it all comes I, down I, to I, the I, same I, thing. Well, exactly. It's I mean, politics ain't beanbag, and I don't know. Whatever. The the, the point being that <laughs> you know when every time the other side is crying foul. First of all, you got to start thinking there's something foul going on, right? Because if every single time there's a cry of foul, there's got to be something going on on one or both sides. Look, here's, here's the argument that I could make. The reason why both Democrats and Republicans claim the election is always stolen from them is because they know how insecure our system actually is. Well, exactly, yeah. And they both know that um, no one is following the voter rolls, and you are very low on the bottom of your screen on that on that camera. Yeah, I just goes leaning over and trying to pour a glass of wine. Uh, okay. Uh, but they, they know that, that there are holes in the system, and they know that uh, at the end of the day, there is a lot of room at the precinct level or at the counting houses for there to be some skullduggery going on. They know that voter rolls are completely hosed in this country, that that voter rolls are so outdated that that can be exploited. And by the way, we, we know that. We, we've actually seen voter rolls in all these states that have you know, tens of thousands of dead people on them, people who have moved out of state. Um, um, do the the does the Secretary of State care? Does the Registrar of Voters care? As far as I can tell, no. Well, in some states they do, and if they try to uh, do something about it, they get sued by the Democrats and the left and immigrant rights organizations. Which what they have to do with voting rights is a little odd. Um. So yeah, I mean, we know that. The voting systems are not secure. And every time we try to do something about that, I mean, we saw what happened in Georgia, which, d despite the, the lamentations of the, uh, uh, of the Biden administration, Biden himself, not only did not suppress votes, it actually uh, encouraged a far greater turnout, made it easier to vote uh, for longer periods of time, which I don't actually like, but whatever it's georgia i don't live there um it also tightened up uh the, the requirements to prove that you were a citizen that you had the right to vote uh, you know that sort of stuff and had you know uh being able to prove it was your ballot and all that kind of stuff so it improved security while also um making it easier for people to get to the polls so what happened more people voted so complete opposite of what was warned about when uh, Joe Biden was calling it, um, you know, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Eagle. Yeah, more, more people <laughs> voted in Georgia in the last election than in any other election previously in the state. So if, if the whole point of that law was to reduce voter turnout, they did an awful job of it. Yeah, they did the exact opposite of what they were attempting to do. But every time this happens, every time there's a move to secure elections, we get all this screaming from the left about how 
Uh, it's voter suppression. You're just trying to suppress votes. Except it never, ever, ever turns out that way. It literally never turns out that way. It always turns out to be the opposite. Yeah, and th that argument on voter suppression, which gets dragged out every time, doesn't seem particularly compelling to me. And one argument that you could make, and it's, a, it's, it's an argument that we've mentioned before, is that if every time there is a proposal to validate the ballots or validate the voting rolls or to make the election more secure or to make it more easy to identify who the actual voters are to ensure that they are registered voters. Every time any of those proposals comes up, uh, it's it's an automatic no from the Democrats. Right. Which makes me wonder why. And why are they, uh, well, why did they do motor uh, back in the 90s under Clinton? Um, why do they not care about people streaming across the border? Why do they want to give um, not only uh, non-residents, so, you know, or, excuse me, um, non-citizens, so like green card holders, legal, res uh, legal residents, um, but anybody, illegal aliens, anybody. Um, the right to get a driver's license um, because, oh, maybe those two things go together. Um, why do they allow illegal immigrants to lobby, gather, and protest government inside the government halls? And I'm thinking specifically of what went on in, uh, I think it was Wisconsin. Uh, it was either Wisconsin or Minnesota. Actually, it was Minnesota. Um, just, I think, last week or so, uh, about uh, making sure that non-citizens could have the right to vote and that they should all get driver's licenses. It, it's, it's just absolutely insane. New York has done the same thing. Maryland's getting ready to do the same thing. Why are they so... Uh, California? Why are they so insistent on this if what they want is elections with integrity seems like the opposite yeah well th that is the question you can either have elections with integrity which by the way there is no measure of integrity that can be applied that won't prevent people who shouldn't vote from voting um and at some point if you're gonna you know oppose every single election integrity measure it's reasonable to ask why. Right. I mean, there's got to be, at least at some point, something that you agree uh, does, you know, hurt elections. But the only thing they ever, they ever care about is, well, we have to make sure that everybody can vote. Well, do we? <laughs> I mean, we, we have to have voting going on for a rolling six months. I mean, is is that really how it's supposed to work? Uh, we could, anybody can just show up and vote. You know, maybe they they had the right to vote. Maybe they didn't. The thing is, once they vote, I don't I don't really care what provisions you have in place. Once they vote, that ballot is going to end up in, in the uh, counted ballots. Um, if they what if the election officials want it to, and once it does, you can't separate it out. 
There's no way to do that because you can't track who votes what way. Yeah, and by the way, we don't want to track who votes what way. That, Hell no. <laughs> absolutely not. But, you know, that, that is one of the problems with a secret ballot is that once the ballots are all in the central counting place, they're just ballots. We don't know whether they're good ballots or bad ballots. Um, we do, to a certain extent, for absentee ballots, at least for that state, those states that require, you know, signatures on their absentee ballots, and you can do signature verification. Although my understanding is that that signature verification doesn't always work out the way that you would think that it does. They're very loose in their verification measures. Um, but, you know, I, 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 again, if you're against any measure that supports election integrity and your fallback to it is, well, it's always Jim Crow, um, there's, there's, there's got to be a reason for that. And I don't think the reason is you're so concerned that every um, authorized voter should be given a chance to vote. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you certainly may feel that every authorized voter should vote, but it seems to me that you want other people to be able to vote as well. And look, in some places, um, several cities have just, uh, for, for local elections, have just gone ahead and explicitly done it. Okay, we don't care who you are. If you're a resident, you can be an illegal alien. We don't care. You get to vote. Yep, show us an electric bill, and then you can vote. Yeah, which, uh, you know... That's not exactly verification, having an electric bill that you're a registered voter, but it doesn't matter. Sorry, I had you muted. What did you say? I said it's just not a concern to some people. No, it's not. But, you know, that's something we've talked about for years, and I, I doubt that we'll be able to solve it tonight, of course. I don't think we're moving the ball anymore. No, I don't. I don't think so either. So, um, anything else that you wanted to talk about this week? Uh, I mean, I've actually come across a bunch of weird stuff, but it all kind of... Well, so there was the new release of the Twitter files, and um, oh, lo and behold, the federal government is has been paying, what's it called, the GEC, some shadowy government funded organization that uh was been doling out money to all these sort of fact checking or uh i'm not even sure what you call them but well they called themselves like uh misinformation experts or disinformation experts or something like that so we basically have had the the federal government and this is not of course, the only way they've been doing this, but this is a major way, or I don't even know if it's a major way, It's, but it's certainly a way um, that they've been uh, censoring people, American people, with rights. Um, and, you know, never felt the need to disclose this or, uh, you know, put any kind of limiting principles on this, uh, much less answer for any of it. Um it's it's just become undeniable at this point that our government is using its resources against its own citizens. I, I just I think that's completely undeniable at this point, and they're doing it in um, politicized ways. 
the sad part about what we learned this week on the Twitter files is that this, we already knew this, by the way. I mean, this is just another element of something that we already knew. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's almost become passe because it's just, oh, well, yeah, here, here's yet another way that they're doing exactly what we have always feared they would do. And they can't swear and they weren't. No, we would never do that. That's wrong. We would never do something wrong. Yeah, but that's exactly what they're doing. And I, it's, it's met outside of basically, you know, conservative circles, conservative Twitter. It's just met with dead silence. Uh, in fact, people on the left are, are starting to make fun of the whole Twitter files thing, saying, yeah, they're not coming up with anything that we didn't already know or that we don't care about. This is all just minor stuff. But it's literally the United States government violating the First Amendment with apparent impunity and yeah uh, who who goes into federal court to stop it uh, how do we prevent the federal government from doing this i mean this is a blatant and the, oh. by the way the federal court the, the supreme court has already said the government cannot use private entities as proxies for government right. actions it's still explicitly unconstitutional at that point yes exactly so we already know we can't do that we're doing it anyway and by the way, Who's stick a pin the in that uh, stick a pin for a little bit later uh, in that concept of um, suing the government and standing. That's something that came up this week. Well, came to the Supreme Court this week that we should definitely talk about. Uh, a lot of interesting things about that. But continuing with this, uh, one of the, uh, if, I guess at this point, I'm just so jaded about it. I, I, well, I guess we both are, um, Bruce as well, <laughs> that it's just like, oh, oh, yes, yet another way that the government is screwing us um, in order to advance its own agenda. <clears throat> and when I say political, I don't mean partisan. Now, it ends up being partisan a lot, a lot of times in application, but... Uh, you know, there have been Republican presidents, there have been Democratic presidents, there have been, you know, uh, Democratic Congresses, there have been Republican Congresses, and I don't think anything has ever changed, and I don't think any of those people were completely in the dark about what the hell was going on. So I don't think the, the, the you know, whatever letter you have after your name has anything to do with it. It's whether or not you're in the political class, whether or not you have political power and you want to maintain it, scratch each other's backs, pretend to fight on TV, uh, and then go back and agree on, uh, no, 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 we got to make sure we keep this in line and that in line so that we can always keep the American people down. And that's, I'm sorry, but that's just what it looks like to me. And I having a harder and harder time, uh, finding a viable excuse as to how that could not possibly be what's going on. Yeah, well, you know, our government does seem to be involved in a, a lot of what you were talking about. Let's pretend to fight on TV. Now, right. One of the reasons why Donald Trump won in 2016 was that unlike whoever we were talking about in 2016, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, 
Chris Christie, the 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 general idea about Republicans in politics was that they talk a good game, but they accomplish nothing. And we can take a look at the Senate and Mitch McConnell and the Speaker of the House who who told us repeatedly that if you give us a majority, we'll overturn Obamacare. Give us a majority and we will fix this. And um, okay, they got their majorities and it never got fixed. And once again, we appear to have lost Michael on the video. No, no, no. I'm here. I'm here. Oh. I just turned off video and was muting because I had to go to the bathroom. Oh, well, okay. That's, that, that's perfectly understood. We don't have commercial breaks. <laughs> no, we don't. You, you kids, you have to go before we leave. <laughs> Don't make me pull this car over. But yeah, the, the 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 you know going back to the 2016 election and this idea of we pretend to fight on TV that sort of strikes me as the perfect explanation of what I was trying to get to earlier. The this they're all in politics. They're all collegial. They all know that they're you know, supposed to have some sort of back and forth and some sort of debate. And it's all very scripted. And they all know that nobody means anything that they say, that it's all just politics. And it rolls off of them like water off a duck's back. And Donald Trump showed up and he actually meant everything he said. Um, and he, he wasn't playing uh, playing the same political game. And then when you bring it into you know, modern day and the Republicans and Democrats, it looks like the same, you know, the same thing. They're pretending to fight, but um, they all managed to stay. They all managed to get reelected. They all managed to stay in office and they all managed to stay in Washington, D.C. for a long, long time. It's like uh, the old, uh, the, the old uh, cartoons where, uh, you know, the fox and the hound, you know, are checking in from their job at the end of the day. Morning, George. Morning, Bob. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the cartoon, like the old, uh, was it Looney Tunes? Yeah, it, was the old, it, was the old, it was the old Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, uh, exactly. Where it was the, the sheepdog and the wolf. And, right. <laughs> you know, they, they were all clocking out at the end of the day, you know, saying, you know, See you tomorrow, Frank. Yep, see you tomorrow. And, right. you know, it was obviously just their jobs. And once they were off work, they were all they were all happy with each other. Um, and by the way, that's, you know, not super new. Ronald Reagan used to, uh, what, play cards with Tip O'Neill? Yeah, they were actually fairly good friends. Although I... Fairly. I'll, yeah. I'll say fairly. <laughs> Although I, I do think that they were probably more serious about their about their politics than. Uh, well, we know Reagan absolutely was. And I think Tip O'Neill was too, but at the same time, back then, we still all believed that America was the best option for everybody. It was just really matters of degrees and temperaments and policies, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's the the problem. Our politics has devolved away from that. You know, Bill Clinton always used to talk about the politics of personal destruction, um, which is pretty rich considering that he was uh, uh, one of the primary beneficiaries as well as one of the primary victims of it. Um, and it's all politics of personal destruction now. You know, these debates that we used to have about taxation and the deficit, and I believe we talked about this three or four weeks ago, and the budget and all of these other things, we we don't have that debate anymore. I mean, the Republicans will occasionally talk about the deficit because, well, it's been out of control for a decade and we've gone from, uh, what, 12 to $30 trillion over the last decade in in national debt uh, because we're running these massive deficits. Um, eh, and the Republicans will talk about it occasionally. But, uh, I mean, Ronald Reagan, not a man who didn't do his own manly job at increasing the national debt. Um, yeah. Even he, I think, would have wanted to put a halt to, to some of this stuff. But the, the, Well, the last serious conversation we had about it was uh, in 2012. And I'll never forget the debate that Paul Ryan had with Joe Biden about, and, you know, Ryan brought the goods. Probably the last good thing he ever did as a politician was I mean, he brought the receipts. He had the knowledge he had. And this was something he was definitely a very big policy wonk on, although he never actually did anything while he was in Congress. Um, he did have the receipts. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And Joe Biden just laughed and scoffed his way through the whole thing. And everybody thought that Joe won. Well, you know, like, one of... One of my favorite parts of that debate, and I use favorite advisedly, um, <laughs> was when Paul Ryan said, look, back in 2009, we did this and we did this and we did this. And then your party did that and that. And then in 2010, we did this and your party did that. And Joe Biden looked at him and laughed and said, well, that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> and Paul Ryan just... Stared I mean, at, just stared at him in dead shocked silence for like 10 seconds but it it did happen it, it happened exactly <laughs> like i said it happened you can't just say no that never happened i mean that's just a a pure denial of reality and paul ryan couldn't figure out how to handle it. Now, what I would have said, which is probably why I would never be a good politician, when Joe Biden said that, I'd looked at him straight in the eye and said, Joe, you're a damn liar. You know that that happened, and you know it happened exactly as I recounted it. And you can sit here and deny facts and deny history all you want, but you're a liar, and I know it. <laughs> Channeling Bob Dole. I know it. You know it. The American people know it. <laughs> And that was actually probably one of Norm Macdonald's best impressions was of Bob Dole. <laughs> he was about the best Bob Dole, just like uh, um, Dana, uh, Dana Carvey Dana. was the best George Carvey. W. Bush and the best oh Ross God. Perot ever committed to film. <laughs> <laughs> now, for every billion dollars I save, you pay me a million dollars. You're still you sitting, know, think you're, of it, that would have been a good deal. <laughs> you know, actually, looking back on it, it would have. I mean, it was funny when Dana Carvey said it, but you know, it might have actually made a lot of sense because, as Ross Perot said, for every nine hundred ninety-nine million that you save, uh, I get a million. 
Okay. Okay. You know, Save a lot. <laughs> yeah, that actually that actually would have worked. I I I, I could have lived with that deal. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, but uh, sadly that alas, never happened. it was not to be. Alas, probably, <laughs> probably for a good reason. Well, if you think Donald Trump was an unpopular president, I can only imagine how grating H. Ross Perot would have been as president. Yeah, that would have been uh, serious. <laughs> that, that would have been one hell of a presidency. Yeah. And who was his uh, vice? Oh, uh, Lloyd Benson? No, that was the Democrat. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was the, the Democratic candidate. Oh, no, it was like some like former general or something. Oh, yes, it, it was. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name. And I should because the man, uh, like John McCain, uh, was a POW in Vietnam and was a hero. Um, yes, that's right. Oh, I can't remember his name. I can see his face. Yeah, he didn't do too well in that vice presidential debate. Who am I? He did not. Why am I here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> are you asking us or are you asking yourself? Good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that did not go well for him. I can't remember I can't remember his name. Um but yeah, that was that was quite an election. And by the way, um absent Ross Perot, no Clinton presidency. Yeah, fair point. I'm not sure whether Ross Perot wanted to be president or just wanted George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush not to be president. I don't either. And I don't know how, I mean, you have to assume at least two thirds would have broke towards, uh, uh, HW as opposed to Clinton. Um, cause they were fiscally interested in, in Ross Perot. But I, yeah. yeah uh, again, I, counterfactuals. I how would you ever know? Not very good. Uh, now, you mentioned something, and I did want to get back to that because I wasn't familiar with what you were talking about, so I, I do want to cover that, and that is yeah. this case in front of the Supreme Court that concerns standing. Uh, because you know, my question originally, uh, when it comes to the government using these private agencies uh, to basically censor Americans on, well, social media or wherever, it doesn't matter where they're censoring them, they're censoring them. Um, the problem now is who gets to sue? I mean, who gets to walk into federal court and say the federal government shouldn't do this and I want to sue them for, I, I don't know what you would sue them for. I, our system gives you money. I don't want money. I want people thrown That's out of jobs. That's not the only thing you can sue for. Uh, you, you can also sue for equitable, um, a, de a declaratory judgment that uh, says, no, this uh, ruling or action is unconstitutional. Um, and that's essentially what's going on here. So this is over the student loan program cancellation of student debt that uh, the Biden White House is, uh, has proposed and seeks to implement. And I don't want to get like like deep into this. So I'll just give you a, a, a very quick overview of a lot of Supreme Court precedent that has to do with standing. And one of the things that they look to is whether or not there is a particularized harm, an identifiable, not speculative, 
particularized harm to decide whether or not someone has standing to bring a case uh, in the federal court system. Um, I gotta say the arguments against the states that have brought these, uh, is, is, in particular Missouri is, is leading uh, on the standing argument is the leading plaintiff um, because they have this state agency and I, I gotta be honest with you I've I've not read the briefs but I've read the commentary on it and I can't tell if it's completely um, independent agency or it's uh, still under the auspices and control of uh, the, the Missouri legislature or not but they have chosen to sue on behalf of that of the state and of that entity, which is the largest um, uh, manager of uh, educational loans, uh, college education loans in the country. So they're claiming that they stand to be harmed because they were going to make money off this, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's thin rule. I, I, I got to be honest. And the case advanced by... At the lower court levels, it was okay. It was good. Um, at the Supreme Court level, uh, the Solicitor General made a very strong argument. Um, I, even Amy Barrett Coney seemed pretty skeptical about the standing argument. Um, but let's back up to what the other let's assume that the, that standing is preserved. And so these states have the ability to sue. Okay. Well, the next part is a pretty easy thing because it's clearly beyond the purview of the executive to just willy nilly decide on its own, sua sponte, that it can cancel all this debt. Um, there is no clear authority from uh, Congress. Uh, what's called the major questions doctrine comes into play that if it's a major question, which this would be, uh, then Congress has to provide specific authority. And this has already come up uh, in a couple of other cases under this Supreme Court. Well, this Supreme Court minus um, uh, Kataji uh, Brown-Jackson. Um, it, it's... So I think the, the constitutional issue uh, about the authority is fairly cut and dried. But this standing issue is a very sticky wicket. And what's not good about that is, and we've seen this, we saw it in 2020, uh, you know, with all the, the challenges to particular elections and how they were run. Um, eventually going on to find out, oh, yeah, no, those were uh, constitutional or state constitutional violations. Um, and there were, were some U.S. constitutional violations as well. But because of problems with standing, that's why the majority of those cases were thrown out. I know we hear all the time, well, no, everybody ruled against Trump. Well, they didn't on the merits. What they ruled on was whether or not they had the authority to even make a ruling in the first place. Um and then the other part of them was whether or not they could even fashion a remedy because 
there are built-in time limits in the Constitution itself. And judges can't just overrule that. Um, so there were some serious obstacles to getting any kind of relief. And that's what the problem is. When the, the federal government overreaches and goes beyond its authority, whatever branch, the Supreme Court should have plenary authority to hear and rule on that case, period. Standing should not be, uh, it, it, should, it should not be what it's been limited to, showing a particularized harm uh, that's non-speculative. It should, the, the particularized harm should be you're violating the Constitution. That should be recognized as a harm. All too often has to be shown to be pecuniary. It has to be a monetary damage. But that's literally only half of what courts do. The other half is equitable powers. When someone goes beyond their authority, when somebody uh, uses their position in a way that is not um, legally sound, the courts are uh, have the authority they're invested with this authority to step in and stop that action. And for some reason, the, the Supreme Court has drastically limited the ability of uh, its own institution to hear those questions. They've often chalked it up to, um, this is a political question, um, you solve this by voting the bastards out. Okay, fair enough. On sometimes that's absolutely true, but when so in the corporate context, it would be called uh, acting ultra vires outside of their authority. When the government acts outside of its authority, that should automatically grant standing to anybody, literally anybody who is a citizen of the United States, because we're all harmed by that action when the government fails to follow the strictures that we placed on them in the Constitution. Well, that, certainly, that should be an automatic harm. That certainly makes sense to me, and yet that isn't the system that we have, the Supreme Court. Um, That's a problem. The yeah, Supreme exactly. Court will toss things on, and not just the Supreme Court, by the way, the federal court system as a whole, will just toss stuff out based on standing. Well, you don't have the standing. You can't show the particularized harm, to, to quote the verbiage that you used. You you can't show that you suffered a particularized harm. That but, comes from a loop, and by the way, if anybody out there wants to look it up. But the problem is that the government, especially as large as it is now, whenever it becomes involved in, in what appears to be a wholesale violation of the First Amendment. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think you're absolutely right. Everyone is a victim in some way of a particularized harm. It is a violation of their civil rights. And whether the federal government just happened to turn its searchlight to you or not shouldn't be the deciding factor there. The fact is the government did something that is wrong, that we all know is wrong, that the courts have already previously held would be wrong if the government were to do it. But the Supreme Court and, and the federal court system in general has has placed the, the stranglehold on itself that that prevents them from just jumping in and saying, nope, sorry, you can't do this. Uh, there has to be some sort of live controversy with someone who has standing to bring that case, or else they simply won't hear it. 
And as you pointed out, you know, many of the, well, there were other you know, constitutional considerations that made it difficult. Uh, but as you pointed out, um, you know, most of Donald Trump's uh, lawsuits were just tossed because of standing. Well, you don't have the standing to bring that lawsuit. Right. And, you know, I don't want to opine on those lawsuits. I never even looked at any of them. So I don't, I, maybe they really did not. I don't know. But it does seem to me that if a government is acting outside of its bounds of authority, that should give automatic standing. Everybody should be have should have the ability to be a uh, private attorney general at that point and sue uh, the government for stepping outside of its boundaries. Well, on, on that, at least we do not disagree. You're, you're absolutely right about that. However, I think having said that, we are reaching the end of our time for the stream tonight. So, Michael, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. And hopefully we can do it over a less rudimentary system. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can we can get this set up. You, you know, the sad We'll work on it this week. The folks. sad thing is at 6:30 it worked. By 6:40 nothing was working. And we went through then half an hour of hell trying to figure out why something that was working 30 minutes ago stopped working. So next week, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully have this. We'll thing. get it figured out. We'll, we'll get it figured out. Hey, this was our first foray. This is our very first uh, video podcast. So I think for video our, straight streaming. Yeah. Yeah. For our very first time, despite the, the problems that we had with Zoom. And by the way. In my experience, Zoom just works flawlessly. It always has. And typically for you and I on, on the podcast, it has always worked flawlessly. Yeah. Today, it just decided, no, we're not doing that. So we'll probably have to get together this week and work out some final kinks so that next week's show goes a little bit, uh, little bit smoother at the beginning. This could also explain why my studio is not working. Ah, well, yeah. Um, I, I would suggest that at some point this week we get together and we share screens and we look at your computer and... I agree. And maybe a, this computer is kind of old. Um, it's probably like 10, maybe a little bit more years old that may have something to do with it. So it could be my end is uh, throwing the ink into the punch bowl <laughs> well we'll we'll get it figured out but hey even with all of that we still managed to get it up we still managed we still a little bit late but we managed to get it running that's right. <laughs> right well michael have a great week we'll talk to you next week are right, you too buddy bye all right well that means that we are done with this podcast you have been listening to the observations podcast and well i guess for the first time i, I should say you've You've been watching the Observations podcast for the first time in 20 years. We've actually done something in video. Uh, as always, we appreciate the fact that you were listening today. Oh, that music is awfully loud. It's also coming through the wrong input. Well, all sorts of things are going awry tonight, but I had to get the music in so that we have a backgrounder to say goodbye, and I will say goodbye. Have a great week. We will look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully with uh, fewer tech problems next week as we figure out the vagaries of video podcasting. Have a great week.
We'll talk to you next week. Until then, so long.